So I say to everyone to be an advocate. It's easy. Everyone can do it. You're an advocate every day for yourself. So you can be an advocate in many different ways. Focus on your time. Focus on the money that we need. It'll really make a big difference in the long run. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connecting ALS. I am your host, Jeremy Holden. Earlier this year, when Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow, it indicated six more weeks of winter weather, according to folklore and a beloved Bill Murray film. But my calendar every year says spring begins on or around March 20th, regardless of what a groundhog in Western Pennsylvania says. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball has postponed the start of baseball season. But we are not here to talk about the seasons of the year or when pitchers and catchers will finally report for spring training. The season we are discussing today is appropriation season. And joining me to do so is Denise Balin, Director of Government Affairs and Policy at the ALS Association. Well, Denise, uh, thanks so much for being with us this week on Connecting ALS. Great. I'm happy to be here. This is my first time joining you. Yeah, we're very excited about it. And it's the perfect time to have you on because, uh, Denise, it seems like every year about this time, I start hearing a lot about appropriations. Am I making that up? Or is this that time of year where that becomes the word of the week in Washington, D.C.? Once you see the president deliver his State of the Union, that is usually the kickoff to the whole season. Yeah. Well, for folks listening in who aren't as deeply rooted in the jargon of Washington, D.C., what is the appropriations process and and how does that work? Well, the question is, how much do I want to bore the people that are listening (laughs) in on this call? I do have to say there is a process that Congress should follow. (laughs) And there is a process Congress usually follows. So there's a difference. So the process that Congress should follow, because they've established these rules and this method and this procedure, starts off with the president. Uh, The president will submit his budget request for the upcoming fiscal year. Now, let me tell you what the fiscal year is for the government. The fiscal year starts of October 1, the year before, and it goes until the end of September. So that is the fiscal year. So when the president submits his request, we expect President Biden to submit his request for fiscal year 23 in the coming days. So once Congress receives that, the Congress will hold hearings, talk to administration officials, and see why they have justified an increase and one program, a decrease in another. So Congress can then figure out their own priorities that they want to share and put forth in an appropriations package. So the next step is they create what they call a budget resolution. I know we had a lot of discussion on what's in the budget resolution. And that just sets the basic funding levels of all the um, appropriations committees. So For example, uh, there are 12 appropriations bills that Congress has to pass every year. The resolution will say this committee will get X amount of dollars. This committee will get X amount of dollars. Think about when you plan your own budget. If I only have this finite amount of money, how much do I use on housing? How much do I use on food? How much do I use on entertainment? Things like that. So Congress has to do the same kind of 
piecemealing together what they can actually afford. So Congress has to do the usual, pass the bills out of committee, then to the floor. And since the House and Senate are doing these things at the same time, they have to resolve their differences. That is difficult uh, in most times to resolve the differences because they are different. Even on the things we have prioritized over the years, they are different in the House and Senate. So that's what Congress should do. And when I was speaking with the Hill staffer earlier this week, I, I'm talking about future fiscal year 23 numbers, all official. And I prefaced my statement with my ask I was making of this staffer to say, well, if Congress had finished their appropriations process on time and with the, the usual budget order is what the term they use. Um, then um, we wouldn't be in this weird muddled situation because currently we're in a continuing resolution. The staffer reminding me that a continuing resolution is the norm now, is how Congress is moving forward with appropriations. So what is a continuing resolution? I think what people hear on the news, the government shut down, we, you know, Congress needs to vote on this to make sure they're budget, you know, the, the lights don't go off, you know, in the government. One, that doesn't normally happen. The government shuts down is infrequent, you know, might have been more frequent in our more recent history, but it's quite infrequent. So what Congress does to avoid these shutdowns is pass a continuing resolution. So what that is, it's just a stopgap in funding. Okay, we can agree to fiscal year 22 numbers. That's where we currently are today. And that's the year that um, so, started last October. Exactly. It right. started last October. So on September 30th last year, they, Congress passed a continuing resolution. That continuing resolution went into, I believe, December. And another continuing resolution was adopted. And that went into February of this year again. And then there, we are currently on the third continuing resolution going to March 11th. By the time people are listening to this, hopefully the deal to actually fund the 22 fiscal year is done. It's resolved. I'm expecting that to happen. That's what I'm hearing. Congress is moving. They're talking to each other. And likely we will have a budget for fiscal year 22 because I got to tell you, we are running on fiscal 21 numbers that were passed in December of 2020. We, yeah. A lot has happened since December 2020 to in Congress, in the administration, and to all of us personally. In so the world. They, this is, continuing resolution is part of the process because it's hard to build consensus on so many different issues, including how to just fund the government. A lot to unpack there and certainly a chaotic process. And uh, I'm sure for folks who are working in the appropriations world, the fact that we are going to get uh, last year's work done and have no time to spare before we start moving into the business of getting something ready for the end of September, no rest for the weary, as they say. So as we think about the different appropriations committees, these 12 different bills that come together to make up the government, how does that impact the fight against ALS? How does that impact people living with ALS today, the search for treatments in a cure? Uh, why, why, why should listeners care about the appropriations process? 
everyone should care about one, what's happening here in DC because it affects everybody. Um, that's the reason why I like government just in general and politics just in general, because it affects me, it affects you, no matter where you live in this country. Same thing happens at your state capitals. So it's important to hear what they're prioritizing in their budgets back at home too, in your own state. So here at the ALS Association, we focus on three, I would say very big, well, they're all very big appropriations bills. They're the labor HHS bill, that's health and human services. Then we also focus on the Department of Defense bill. Yes, here at the ALS Association, we care about the defense bill. And another item that's recently become fairly new to the organization is focusing on the agriculture bill. These appropriations bills are important to many different parts to help us find new treatments and cures, you know, optimize current treatments and care and prevent the delays and harms of ALS through the research that these agencies can really help promote internally and externally through all the research grants that they provide to people across the country. So for the Defense Department Research Program, for NIH, for for those agencies to continue investing in research, they have to be funded. They have to have their appropriations bills passed so that the money is available for them to then dole out to research projects. Am I getting that right? That's exactly it. So right now, yes, in the continuing resolution situation, we're running on the money that was allocated to these agencies for fiscal year 2021. And we're not there. We're, we're not at that level. So we need right. Congress to pass 2022 so we can see an increase in these research funds. And we need to focus on how more money that we want to get for fiscal year 23, the one that, the year they have to figure out by the end of uh, September. So you mentioned the hope for more money for additional funding. I, I know that the association and ALS advocates have had some success in recent years getting some of these funding levels increased. What are you looking for this year? What are we going to be going to these committees, to members who are supportive and asking for that 2023 fiscal year? Well, first off, um, one of the large programs that we ask for money for is at NIH. So in the labor HHS subcommittee, we ask for more money for NIH. And this year, we're going to be requesting $135 million directed towards NIH specifically for ALS research. In addition, like you said, we had a huge success last year with the passage of Act for ALS. Right. And that has been done because of advocates who are probably listening, who really made a difference telling their story on how we need one therapies to people living with ALS now and how we need to do more research on therapies for people who will be diagnosed in the future and diagnosed right now. So act for ALS. Here's a little here's more process for the Congress. Act for ALS authorized $100 million for the government to spend on the programs that that the bill supported. So what we're also trying to do through NIH, we're asking for an additional $75 million for the expanded access research grants. This is the money that will go to clinical trial sites, to people who want to get expanded access treatment. So they, 
new experimental drugs that are out there that are currently in phase three, they can get through these expanded access grants at clinical trial sites. Now, I think a lot of people are like, wait, I thought expanded access was for people who can't get into a clinical trial. That is true. It's just the place where the government wants people to get the treatment because they know a clinical trial site can handle an experimental drug. So they want to make sure just the house is built properly so that people can get the right treatments they want through the new expanded access. But that needs money. You know, these sites are up and ready, you know, can handle this, but they need money to pay for the drug and they need money to um, administer the actual drug because it's not free for doctors and nurses times and the lights on in the hospitals and the clinic. So we've requested an additional 75 million to NIH when we've already asked for 135 million, but we need all that money in order to also move forward with implementing and funding and starting up ACT for ALS. Another part of ACT for ALS is more research funding that are going to go to more private researchers and even colleges that are doing ALS research. And so we are even getting, that's where agriculture gets into play. We're going to ask for 25 million at the Department of Agriculture, which is where FDA lives. So we're going to have to ask the agricultural department to put money into FDA for more research grants for ALS. So that those are just the, I mean, that's just healthcare. That's just like the, the, the labor HHS bill. So how do we get to DOD? How do, why, are we, why are we asking money for the government to fund the military, you know, here at the ALS Association? But that's because, I don't know if many people know that the Department of Defense actually has medical programs out there that they do a lot of research on different diseases. It's not just ALS. They do it on cancers. They do it on other rare diseases. So we're going to be asking for more research dollars to go to the Department of Defense. So they do a lot of preclinical work. So it's a lot of, you know, beginning stages of providing new treatments. So we really need researchers out there to really figure out what is, how can we resolve ALS? How can we, you know, find that treatment, find that cure for people to make it a livable disease? So that's DOD, agriculture and labor HHS. Those are the big committees that we're going to be focused, subcommittees we're going to be working on asking for a lot of money. Now, I preface this by saying, you know, we're we're going to ask for 60 million at DOD, 10 million at CDC, 100 million for Act for ALS, and 135 million for NIH. I'll always take more money. If there's more to be had, I'll take it. Uh, I'm never going to say no. And I want people to know that, you know, if there's money on the table, we're going to, I'm going to be looking for it to make sure that we get it to more ALS research. Well, it sounds like you and the team have your hands full in the coming weeks and months. Uh, Denise, what can folks listening today do to get engaged and make sure that these appropriation asks are being taken seriously and that these programs I think are so critical that they are fully funded to the extent possible? Well, a lot of people don't want to get involved in politics. Think DC's, you know, place you don't want to go to or get involved. Um, it's not for everyone, but because it affects everybody and, you know, their one's personal health and the future of ALS research, I think everyone should get involved. So I ex- hope people will get involved by telling their story. I have to say that I'm, I may be your friendly neighborhood lobbyist, not Spider-Man, but I might be your friendly neighborhood lobbyist. 
and I'm not a person living with ALS, nor am I taking care of a loved one with ALS. I can talk about how ALS has impacted my family, the loved one we lost, but I'm not living it right now. But the story that I can tell really is the most impactful thing one can do and share that with their elected officials or their staffer. I was very impressed with, during the floor debate of Act for ALS, members of Congress that spoke, each one of them had their own personal story. They had been impacted by ALS some way in their life. And that's what I remember, right? Of course, I remember the passage of the bill, but I remember those stories. And if people can share their stories, that's what people will remember. And that's what people will remember that they need to fund more research to get a cure, to get treatment. So I say to everyone to be an advocate. It's easy. Everyone can do it. You're an advocate every day for yourself. So you can be an advocate in many different ways on appropriations. It sounds big and the process is complicated. But if you know where you want to focus on your time, focus on the money that we need, it'll really make a big difference in the long run. And we will share links for folks to sign up to become an advocate and stay engaged in these fights and the fights to come. Denise, thank you so much for your time this week. Thank you. It's great to talk with you. Well, public policy doesn't only happen in Washington, D.C. A bill recently introduced in the Minnesota State House could have an impact on people living with ALS in that state today and on the global fight to find treatments and a cure. I recently talked to Marianne Kewen with the ALS Association's Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter about that work. Let's hear from her now. Well, Marianne, thanks so much for joining us this week on Connecting ALS. Thanks for having me. Very exciting times up in uh, Minnesota. We were just hearing about some of the public policy priorities for the association writ large when it comes to federal funding for research. And as many people know, the public policy fights don't just happen at the federal level, but at the state level. And I know there's some very exciting things happening just this week in Minnesota. Why don't you walk listeners through what you all have going on up there in the state capitol? Yeah, we we actually have two bills that are going through right now. Um, we have companion bills in the Senate and the House. One bill will call for $20 million that would go towards research. Right now it's targeted for the University of Minnesota, but it would be research specific to ALS projects that they're looking into Um, which is huge. And and again, there's a companion bill in the House that mirrors that exact uh, language. And then there's a second bill that has been introduced that has three separate components. So one component is ALS research. In that bill, it calls for $10 million to be allocated towards ALS research that clinics can apply for um, for a, a number of different projects. Then there's a second component of that, another $10 million that would be allocated towards ALS clinics themselves. We know that in general, ALS clinics oftentimes lose money to provide the type of care that they do. And so this money would be set aside to help ensure that all of the ALS clinics in Minnesota can continue to do the work that they're doing, improve upon what they're doing, and certainly make sure they're sustainable. And then a third component of that bill is an additional $5 million that would go towards what we would consider to be uh, like respite care grants. So grants for caregivers of somebody living with ALS. And, And so that one will be run through the Department of Aging, but we believe families will be able to apply for grants to help ensure that they can get more home care into their homes. 
to care for their loved one with ALS. It's truly incredible to see, and I saw some of the news report. I know there was a press conference just a couple of days ago to kind of introduce some of these public policies. Where did all of this come from? Uh, I know I hear from the public policy team that that's working in DC, hear a lot about some of the champions that the association and advocates have been able to build up relationships with. Presumably, same thing at the state level, but where what was the genesis of these two incredible pieces of legislation? I guess four, if you think about the House and the Senate companion bills, but these two, these yeah. two pushes. Well, I, absolute credit goes to Senator David Tomasoni. He is a longtime senator here in Minnesota. He's from Chisholm, Minnesota, uh, which is up in our northern part of the state. He's an Iron Ranger, as he would say. But so he was diagnosed with ALS earlier last year. And after his diagnosis, really took a step forward to say, I need to share my story. I need to let people know what this is. And then I also need to figure out how I can fight for it. And so he he has been absolutely incredible in leading the efforts behind this. And I would say a, a credit to just him as a, being an incredible human being. He has so much support in the Senate, in the House. People that know him recognize him for who he is. I mean, he works with everybody. He is just one of those remarkable individuals. And he has said, like, I... I am going to fight ALS with everything I've got. And this is one way that he's making sure he can do that. Yeah, truly incredible. And, you know, of course, you know, hate to hear about the diagnosis. Obviously, uh, it's so terrible to have that connection uh, and then at the same time empowering to see him turning that into you know, kind of positive movement on ways to empower people living with this disease and, and make their lives easier while accelerating the search for treatments and a cure. I saw that Terry Steinbach, uh, you know, a celebrity up in those parts, uh, former manager of the Twins is on the team. Talk to me a little bit about some of the coalition building that's going on to kind of keep the energy behind this legislative push. Yeah. So there's a number of individuals um, that we're working with. Kent Herbeck, um, also a former Minnesota twin, and Terry Steinbach, they both lost their fathers to ALS and both have been engaged with our association for a really long time. And they also are partnering with Never Surrender, who is uh, another partner of ours. They do the, the big snowmobile <laughs> ride that brings in, uh, I think this this year was 1.6 million. Wow. Um, so Honestly, it's it's a number of people and it's the connections are kind of all throughout. They're woven throughout with all of these different individuals. And so many of them have that personal connection to ALS that keeps them wanting to come back, keeps them um, willing to share their stories and let people know the impact it had on them and then be willing to come out and, you know, tell others about it as well. So yeah, it's, they've been great partners of ours. We're very thankful to them for a number of different reasons. And I, I think at the press conference, Terry said they were going to rent out uh, Target Field and have a giant party when we can finally put an end to this disease. And I fully believe he will do that. And we, we will all be celebrating. You know, as someone who grew up in an AL Central country, but rooting for the Cleveland baseball team, now known as the Guardians. But uh, when that day comes, I'll don a Twins hat uh, and be there uh, waving a flag with, with the rest of you. Marian, where does the fight go next? What's the next steps in terms of moving this legislation forward? And, and how can folks listening at home get engaged? Yeah, definitely. So um, we have some action alerts that are going out that will be asking people in Minnesota to contact their local Minnesota senator and representative. 
um, and we've got talking points for everybody. The next step, it's going to be heard this Tuesday in uh, one of the Senate committees. Dr. Walk, Dr. David Walk, he's one of our neurologists at the ALS clinic um, at M Health Fairview, and I was also part of the University of Minnesota doing the ALS research. He and I will be testifying in that committee, um, and we'll try to get support for it through that. We'll hopefully push it through at least three other committees. Our hope is that it will go from committee straight to a floor vote pretty quickly. That doesn't always happen, but but that's what our goal is for these bills. I think they've got a lot of momentum behind them right now. And honestly, they have a ton of support. We've already heard from a number of senators and representatives on both sides of the aisle who have said, we're on board, tell us what we can do, and who have come out in huge support. So we'll continue to ask everybody in Minnesota to reach out to their legislators and um, secure their, their vote as a yes when these do come to the floor. And then hopefully we'll see it through and and get these bills passed and and get them signed by the governor so we can keep the research moving and clinics supported and caregivers getting the support that they need. Well, truly incredible and inspiring to see the work that's going on and and the progress that's being made. Uh, Marianne, thanks so much for your time this week. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. I want to thank my guests this week, Denise Balin and Marianne Kewen. If you like this week's episode, tell a friend. You can find Connecting ALS wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you are there, make sure to rate and review the show. It's a great way for us to connect with even more listeners. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Race Car. Post-production by Garrett Tiedemann. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Supervised by David Hoffman. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon.